podcast ain't play nobody. Uh, my name is Stephen Godfrey. You can get me on Twitter and Instagram at 38Godfrey. This is podcast ain't play nobody, part of the Banner Society Network. So before we talk about today's show, let me tell you a little bit about the Banner Society. Uh, the official website launches August 21st. So most of you, by the time you hear this, uh, will be able to catch it on its grand opening day. We're going to have some content there, some stuff that you've seen in the Read Option newsletter. Because, of course, if you're listening to this, you've gone to afootballwebsite.com and signed up for the Read Option newsletter uh, in anticipation of the new site launching. So a Banner Society, uh, your average week of content, you know, week zero is a good time to launch. We're going to kind of do a little dry run for what the life is going to look like as we move into the season. Uh, this year's podcast, we're going to do a PAPN Talks today. And then later this week, we're going to do kind of a mock, a faux tasting menu, I guess, for Week Zero, since there's only two FBS games. But Bud and Richard and I will do an abbreviated version of the tasting menu as we talk about uh, Arizona, Hawaii, Florida, and Miami, because those are all the teams that are playing. But that's better than none, so that's good. Uh, Luke Fickle, Cincinnati head coach. I'm on the road right now capturing a few interviews, doing some stuff before the season starts. Uh, I was actually, as I record this on Sunday afternoon, I spent the afternoon at a campsite in Indiana, uh, just across the border from Cincinnati, Ohio, where the Bearcats are doing their summer practices. If I could paint you a picture, uh, I sat in the like the commissary of this campsite with uh, Luke Fickle. We talked about everything that's going on with James Hudson. If you don't know, uh, we'll get to that in a second. Everything that went on with Jim Harbaugh at Michigan, but uh, the Bearcats do their summer camp away from campus, away from the city of Cincinnati. It was very, very Stranger Things, very weird vibe, um, but uh, they, they like it. Apparently, they've been doing it since the Rick Minter era, so there's your Cincinnati trivia. Uh, yeah, so if you haven't already and you have the chance before you listen to this interview, I would highly recommend Justin Williams' piece over at The Athletic. He did a fantastic job sort of assembling the timeline as well as the um, – the conflicting narratives between Fickle and Jim Harbaugh at Michigan over the transfer of former Michigan offensive lineman James Hudson to Cincinnati. Um, you know this as college football fans. It's a mess right now. The transfer situation is so gummed up, and it's so situational. You have a Justin Fields uh, case where the kid's playing immediately. He's done. He's out. He's happy. Uh, but then you have a kid like James Hudson who – Repeatedly told the NCAA, tried to apply for a waiver and say, look, you know, I was I was suffering from a mental illness. I was battling depression. I did not feel like I fit at Michigan. This was more than just football. His family got behind him. Cincinnati did everything they could. And then Fickle went public and said, basically, you know, uh, Jim Harbaugh didn't seem interested in helping this happen. And, and that, unfortunately, there's too much agency from the program and the coach from where the kid is leaving to make these things happen right now and it's, it's just it's two case by case so I uh, I pressed Fickle on his stance about immediate eligibility at least once on a transfer we talked about the Jim Harbaugh comments he talked about Jim Harbaugh uh, we just kind of talked about everything um, I tried to get him as honest as I could so hopefully you guys like that we do start the conversation by the way uh, again talking about number of children that's a bridge You'll probably hear me do that a couple times on PAPN Talks, and I'll give you guys a little behind the scenes as to why. Uh, coaches don't have hobbies. They don't do a lot that isn't football. So when you're trying to make light conversation to get a coach to start opening up and, and really talk and not think and respond like a traditional interview, but talk in sort of this podcast format, you got to get them, you got to get them warm a little bit. And so... I was doing my research on Fickle, and and several people told me that he uh, his hobby is football, his job is football, and he has six kids and a big Catholic family. So uh, you'll you'll hear him talk about me talking about kids. Uh, actually, we open up with Mike Vrabel's mustache mainly because uh, Fickle has had a, a week plus of some pretty serious aggressive media, and uh, just wanted to joke about something. So uh, one of the former former assistant coaches at Ohio State, obviously the Tennessee Titans head coach now, Mike Vrabel, and his. Uh, his beautiful, beautiful mustache. So try to disarm him a little bit to get him warmed up, and then we uh, we talked about all the serious stuff. So this is uh, Cincinnati's Luke Fickle. Obviously, they open up week one next week, Thursday night. Don't sleep on the UCLA game. It's going to be good. Uh, all right. So before we get into everything that's uh, uh, serious and, and uh, indicting the state of college sports, I was supposed to ask you about Vrabel's mustache. It's awful. He kind of looks like a cop in a movie about, like, maybe Boston. <laughs> well, you know why, right? I mean, no. 
Well, he said the rest of it is, is too gray, but that wasn't gray, so he kept the mustache. Okay, I've got yeah, I feel that I got a little gray in the on the chin, but yeah, yeah he looks like a cop running he, around. He should Nashville. be yeah, he should be in a movie or some yeah, yeah, sort. Yeah. It's like that's probably better than saying a, a guy that's in porn, but other than that, <laughs> one or the other. Let's just go with the cop. It's weird that he hung on to it. I, I, I thought yeah, <laughs> well, there's, he had it for a you're long not time. Changing his mind. Yeah, I mean, you could say whatever you want about it. You, his wife could tell him it looks awful. I could tell him it looks awful. Yeah, probably would make him keep it even longer. Yeah, but so oh, so it's like a Gundy thing now, where he's doing it to. He is who he is, and there's not many people are going to change his mind. How often do you guys talk? You know what we we don't talk quite as often now. We'll text. Yeah, we texted this morning, um, but yeah, I was just so busy. Right. Yeah, you know, we went down there uh, before camp started for one of their OTAs, just for a day. Yeah, we hung out for a little bit, but. How we just get so busy. How's your birthday going? Today is your birthday. It is. Happy birthday. It is. Thank you. I appreciate it. What is the idea? His was yesterday. No, his was the 14th. Oh, wow. Yeah. You guys are so okay. we're similar. So uh, that's why I say he texted me. It wasn't like he texted me some, some big. Yeah. He texted me this morning. So. Uh, what is the ideal birthday at this point? Oh, goodness sakes. A couple hours. Yeah. I mean, you kind of know what you're getting into. and It's August. Right. And not, it hasn't changed a whole lot in the last 20 years. <laughs> right, so, right. <clears throat> one thing that's different is there's more kids uh, to piece your time around. Yeah. As opposed to, you know, 18 years ago or something when you right. didn't have any kids. So you have six kids. Six. Six. So that's a pretty good birthday haul. Right. That's, that's a lot. Okay, yeah. That's a lot for about... I, mean, I feel like everything you do, right, this is the day. See, I've got two, and i got one on the way, and I'm, I'm hoping you're going to tell me like <laughs> 10 years from now, like, this is the day where they, they pay it all back, right? Yeah, yeah it's it, uh, in some ways, but uh, yeah. you get ready to go from man coverage to zone coverage. That's, so it doesn't yes. matter whether you have two yeah. or you go to the next level when you got six. I'm terrified. As soon as you go to zone coverage, it becomes a little bit different. Yeah, I'm terrified. It's all about bracketing at that point. Um, the last time I talked to you, I was doing an interview about the State of the American Athletic Conference, and uh, we can get to the P5 thing in a second, but you had a really interesting point about the perception of schools in major cities that the people who live there don't necessarily keep up with what's in their own backyard. And so if there's a stigma to a school and they go about changing it or they've made improvements or they've spent more money on a facility, it's usually the people around town that are the last to know. Is that it's a lot of like that in recruiting even. I yeah. mean it's it's you know, Cincinnati being one of those ones I'm talking about in general, I can't speak exactly on all the rest, but you know, there's a lot of people that grew up here. There's a lot of people that, you know, were recruiting their kids that they went to school here. And when they're in the community or, you know, 30 minutes away, 40 minutes away, they probably don't know all the changes, not just have happened to the football program, but also to the university. And so I think, you know, as, as they start to see other schools, all they remember is the school they went to. Right. So they compare with the school they went to. And then all of a sudden they're taking their kids to other schools and they're like, wow, you know, there's a lot of things here that are impressive until they come back on a campus and get a different look. I think they're really surprised. Yeah. Um, because obviously the, here in particular, like probably a lot of them that are, you know, in a city or community like that, um, that in the last 20 years have made a lot of changes. Right. You know, not just because of athletics, but because of the schools in general. Right. But it's a lot bigger than football and it's a lot bigger than college athletics where a lot of these cities have reinvested in the urban core and that specifically affects the universities that are inside the cities. This conference, especially we look at Cincinnati, uh, Memphis, you know, Louisville before Houston, they left. I'm right. Sure. Yeah. I mean, but to be honest, 20, 15 years ago was the same thing in Columbus, to be honest. Really? I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, you know, it, it, when the schools kind of changed over and the, you know, from open enrollment to selective and, you know, a lot of the people of the community, I had nieces that, you know, you know, it was like, no, I'm not going to stay home and go to school. You know, when I went to when I went there, it was, you know, anybody could go to school there. And I think the community just doesn't quite understand the changes. Right. And, um, you know, when, when they start to change campus and things like that, you know, sometimes, like I said, the last people that notice are the ones that are closest. I had relatives, the kids that were in the same way. They, well, I've been to football games down there. I, you know, I, I've seen what it's like. And so, no, you really haven't until you get on campus and see a lot of the other things. And that's why I mean, it's the same thing here. Is you know even if they'd been to a you know alumnus been to a game, you know bring their family to the game they still haven't been on campus to see all the changes and 
so it's almost not fair. Mm-hmm. It's almost not fair to say they compare it to some place else that they went and take some time to look at to, you know, a school like us or I'm sure Memphis, I'm sure Houston, I'm sure any of those ones in a bigger metropolitan area. What was your perception of the job before you went on campus for the first time? Well, you know, to be honest, I, I had only been on campus a couple of times and I don't, my uncle went to school here. I was on campus in 1980s still. I remember when they still had a wrestling program. Um, and I'd probably had been by it, but never really, because I never recruited the area. And then when Mark D'Antonio was at Cincinnati, I think I stopped in recruiting maybe once or twice. So didn't know much about it. Um, ignorant to it, to be honest with you. And, uh, you know, in some ways I took it sight unseen. I knew what I wanted. I knew with the proximity. I didn't really know what it was really all about. And, um, you know, that's why I said the other day, I, you know, been so not pleasantly surprised, but so excited about not just the university and, you know, what we're doing as a program and on campus, but also what the community has been for my family. So was the sight unseen part, was that, was that solely based on the geography for you staying in Ohio? Was it also the reputation that there's football in Cincinnati that you can recruit to? Yeah, I think it had first to do with, Hey, what's, we know what the community in the city was like, Okay, you know, even though we had never lived here, never, you know, spent a lot of time here, I've been to a Reds game, been to a Bengals game. But right. other than that, um, I think it was just the time that knowing, Hey, I want to be a head coach. Uh, first things first is if I could be in this region, not just because of my family, but because of recruiting and the things that you believe you could build. That's why it was one of those ones where like, man, that would be perfect. Not really knowing what the infrastructure was really like. And I'm I'm a lot like a lot of fans in the last eight years, you know, the successes they had uh, is where I probably noticed more than anything before that, when I was in school, probably couldn't tell you a whole lot about it. And uh, you know, from, from you know, what Rick Minner kind of started and then Mark D'Antonio did and, you know, what Brian Kelly and those and, and Butch Jones kind of capitalized on as, as the, that run, it probably was the first time I really had an idea of what was going on down here. But you see that as a prospective head coach as proof of concept. And then again, I don't know how much of it, maybe we overplay this, the Ohio State stuff. You are from the state. Obviously, you understand and can recruit every side of the border of the state. I, that has a lot to do yeah. with it. And, and it's not just, I mean, I think it's still regional too. Yeah. You know, had you been at a place that's in the region, it doesn't just have to be in Ohio, but, mm-hmm. you know, even some of the, you know, places within the 300 mile radius. It, so you know what the nucleus of your recruiting base is going to be. Um, that was something that was in, in, important to me. Um, we always say that well, I want to stay close to family. We all know that that can't always happen. I mean, right. there's an opportunities just like anybody in any field. You know, a guy takes an insurance job, a really good job or something in, you know, Minnesota. I'm sure he probably didn't take the entire family down there to make sure that that whole community <laughs> was what was bad. Hey, I got a new job with Target. I'm going to be a big and right. we're going to go to Minnesota. Well, hold on. Let's let me go see what, you know, this community is like if my kids will sports will fit and things. Right. Yes, it's got to be a community for the You've family. been lucky that way, though. I mean, majority of your career has been spent pretty much at home. Very That's unheard of. Very, very, very. If, yeah. In this profession in particular. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think, you know, we all make decisions, though, that's, you know, we, we could have moved, you know, right. just like a lot of coaches, sure. I'm sure. Um, now, I'm not saying that you know, where I was before being my alma mater was an easy place to move away from, but nonetheless, in this profession, we all make decisions, you know, and, and there are opportunities for lots of coaches, you know, sometimes for titles, sometimes for money. And, you know, we had to make some of those decisions and have always chose not to take off because deep down inside it was never what was best for the entire family. Okay, so to talk a little bit about football talent in Cincinnati, obviously the history has always been there, especially the Catholic schools, sending kids to Notre Dame for years. It's always been a a target-rich environment for recruiting. And then we get to this – well, let me back up. It's been 10 years since that that one Brian Kelly season where Cincinnati was as close to a national title conversation as they could be, right? Yep. Now, essentially with the program being in better shape than it was even then, or at least maintaining, right, more investment, you're sort of boxed out of that scenario because of the, you know, the reconfiguration of the playoff system. In the meantime, and I, just from listening to your interviews and talking to you, You've got an area in which you feel like you can develop kids the same way, you can recruit them the same way, you can coach football the same way, and you're sort of kept out of a scenario in which you know there, there aren't as many 
football players in Bloomington or Lexington or any of these places all around you. So true. So this is probably the genesis of your the anti P5 campaign, I imagine. Yeah, I mean, and let's be honest. I mean, there's there's 15 teams that have a legitimate chance to be in the Final Four. Now, there's a handful, hundreds of other teams that are fighting for maybe that one spot. Right. And that's just the reality behind college football right now. And some people would say, well, then who are the 15? Well, I'm not saying who the 15 are, but legitimately there's 15 teams that, you know, maybe the blue bloods, if you've looked at the last 10 years of who are the guys that have been in the, have been 10 years, I think 2014 was the first year for it, the playoffs. It's been blue bloods in all ways other than maybe one, you know, somebody from the outside. And so why are we any different than anybody from the outside? Does a lot of things have to fall in place and happen? Yeah, you know, but for all those other teams that are outside the 15, I mean, if that's the only thing that they think about and they base their program and everything that they do based on, hey, how do we, you know, let's schedule so that we can have a chance to win and get to the final four to be in a national championship. Like probably setting themselves up for a lot of failure. Yeah. And I think that's one of those issues as you, as you start to look at some of those things around the country. I don't know that the coaches and ADs are always on the same page to say, hey, we gotta, we got to do this, this, and this to make sure that we have an opportunity to get in to the national championship playoffs. And it's like, hey, let's just do what's best for our program. Right. And you know what I mean? If, if we take care of business, we'll have that opportunity. We'll be one of those one or two <laughs> that have that, you know, outside 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 shot of you know being a team that's selected do you feel like we'll just use 2019 for instance no pressure no run the table that resume yeah i mean you're gonna it still has a lot to do with what happens in college football i mean how many times have there been four undefeated teams that have gone into the playoffs i don't know that it has been it has not you know i mean we were the fourth place team in 2014 that that ended up winning it right you know but i think what it does for college football is it keeps a little bit of a controversy. When you have a little bit of a controversy, guess what happens throughout the entire year? We have all these podcasts, we have all these conversations, right. we have all these things that continue to talk about sure. it. Where after the NCAA basketball tournament, it's an exciting month and all, but you know sure. what? There's a winner. Well, I always tell people, I mean, it's a four-month season. We got to we got to pay our mortgages 12 I, and, months and, a year. And it keeps the attention on college football, which intent continues to make college football great and relevant and things like that. So I'm not saying that's why they do it, Right, but you know what? It, it's we're benefiting from it in a lot of ways, and I think our kids are benefit, benefiting from it in a lot of ways because we're being able to pro- provide more for them. And um, I think ultimately that's what it is. So I think we got a balance there to say, oh, well, we, you know, we got to do something different so that we can make sure we can get into the championship. Well, hey, let's let's just do what's best for our program, and then when things all fall in line, you take care of business. You got to believe that you'll have that opportunity. I know it didn't happen for UCF, you know, last year or two years ago, you know, and maybe it was a unique year, but you know what? I think if they completely change the philosophy of how they go about scheduling and things, it's not going to really help them in the long run. Uh, I think it's going to, it could hurt. Is the scheduling philosophy here in line with what you think is best for the program? Yeah. I mean, we, as in my first three years, I have not really talked a whole lot about scheduling. Uh, I feel like personally that if I get too involved in that, I'm not worried about the things I need to be focused on. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm new and young at what I'm doing in a, in a lot of ways. And, you know, I, I don't want to get out of my lane. I trust what, you know, Mike and them have done. And, you know, they've asked some things now after a couple of years to say, hey, what are we what are we looking at doing? Um, so I think as we build those things, we'll, we'll you know, have a better grasp on it. But, you know, I think as this whole process went, you know, we're on the same page to say, let's do what's best for our program. You know? is, is that finding in, obviously, you know, Cincinnati's always going to play Miami of Ohio. But after that, you've got opportunities there. Are, are, do you have a particular philosophy you've built or something you've observed where it's, do we want to schedule as hard as possible to try and make a national statement? Do we want to build in with comparable? Well, I think there's where you, know, you, you got to fit. That's where we're starting to get to that point now. Yeah. I know our league-wise and our commissioner wants, hey, everybody's got to schedule to you know, outside big games. Right. And this is what we're going to do for our conference. And be quite honest, I, I understand we all nod our heads and say, okay, commissioner. And behind closed doors, I would say, to my, now I'm going to do what's best. We want to do what's best for our program. I know these things are done 10 years down the road and five sure. years down the road sometimes. But 
if we just solely say personally, hey, let's whatever the commissioner says, we're going to have to do. Right. I, I think we'd all be a little bit crazy. You know, we all want to, you know, promote the league and do those kinds of things. But ultimately, we also got to do what's best for our program. And for us in particular, my philosophy, like I told to our, to our AD, I think we want to do as much as we can for our fan base. And that means scheduling people that they would recognize, meaning if we could get the old Big East teams in some way, somehow on the schedule, I think it would be awesome. I'm not saying that. You know, what is that? Is that the West Virginias? Is that I was going to say, we, is that, I mean, that's, let's text Neil Brown. I mean, that, doing. and I just mean that in a sense, not that, you know, we don't want to play UCLA or not that we don't want to play Ohio state. I right. just, I just think for our fan base, uh, you know, when, when you recognize with some of the history and the things that have you know gone on here, I think that's where those things would resonate. Now, are they great? I mean, proximity, give us where we recruit, just go Kentucky and those kinds of things. Again, not because we don't, not because I don't want to play Nebraska who we play next year. But I'm just saying, oh, okay. But does that resonate as much with our Southern fans, Ohio, you know? specifically? Yeah, you know. And and so when you got here, did you see or, or hear or feel people wanting those those games that they were sort of? Well, I just used I, I, I kind of get a feel for that as I'm around now. Yeah. You know, in, in a couple of years, and you know, they keep hearing about the history. I remember that game when you know uh, we beat uh, Pitt for the Big East Championship, right. and you know the, the the bobblehead this year. I mean, all those. It's like. Well, if we're going to have an out of conference, why? What, what's the difference between Pitt and Nebraska? Well, I know the history, and sure, but seriously, like, you know, people would resonate with with playing Pitt, and uh, you know, the West Virginias and things like that. So, to me, also, guess what that does? That keeps us within our 300 mile radius. That keeps us within our recruiting base. I think it benefits us, not just our. You know, fans and things, but also our program. Well, the Keg of Nails was a, I mean, that was a serious rivalry. That was yeah. in every way, shape, and form a rivalry, you know, that, that's on par with, you know, I come from SEC country yeah. and it's it's no different than any one of those. And a I lot think, of anger, a lot of frustration, a lot of, you know, in a good way. Yeah. And passion, I'm sure some you know? of those guys don't want to play on in some ways. You know, hey, that was then. And in theory, I don't know if right. we want to do that, you know. Um, you know, but I think that's where we got to work at it. It's you know, and I know the with our conference and the things we try to do is see if there's any way we can get home and homes like we got with UCLA. And a lot of times they don't want to do those, right? You know, and that shies us away from from scheduling those. But I think we got to work a little bit more uh, to see if we can find a way whether we can do home and homes. And if it's not a home and home, I still think it benefits us uh, in the long run. Ohio State benefits Cincinnati. I think it does. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's a unique game for me in some ways but sure. more it's not about me you know it's what's best for our players and our program um and i think that's that's a great opportunity for us you know i don't know that we'll ever get them to come back down to cincinnati but in 2002 they did and we played in paul brown stadium and i was yeah. on the other side and yeah. you know and, and it was it was a battle um but that's where i think that you know sometimes when we're scheduling and when they're scheduling again that's a i haven't got involved in it it's you know, hey, we got UCLA because they would go home and home. Great, but mm -hmm. you know, what about Louisville or Kentucky? It was just those proximities or the old Big East. I think, yeah, you know, the things that we got to work for. Uh, I was specifically not going to ask you about OSU in regards to personal history because I know every coach is going to say roughly the same thing. It's not about me yep. getting the kids focused. But you've been in those situations before, just having been around working for other coaches, where there is an obvious unavoidable personal connection going into those games did you learn anything sort of how to manage that i mean when that week comes it's going to be a crush on you to talk about yeah. everything yeah interim season and it's probably why we said we're not talking on that week but yeah it, no more than just to, to you know to try to keep the focus on what it is mm -hmm. um i was i've been fortunate though i played i was at the university of akron my second year of coaching and we went back and our first game our opening game was in was in columbus so i've done it before um, you know, and diff, obviously I was 27, 28 years old and yeah. probably don't even remember what side of the ball I was coaching. But besides <laughs> that, um, you know, it, it'll be unique and different, but I think it's unique and different also because of where we are, you know, as a program and in an hour and 40 minutes away. And, you know, not that there's a history of playing each other by any means, but there's a history in the past from, you know, the basketball side of things and, you know, basketball has, you know, played them last year. Right. So I, I think, you know, all in all, when, when we say what's going to be an opportunity for our program and our fan base, I think this is one of those ones. And 
um, regardless of what my personal you know background and history is it's it's like I said it's far more uh, important to the program than you know whatever the history was of me do you remember uh, in 14 you were on the sideline in 14 when Cincinnati was up there yeah yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. I just I have I was covering that game embedded with Cincinnati and I just remember the guy running on the field and one of the OSU strength and conditioning guys oh yeah just absolutely <laughs> it was the most beautiful that was that i couldn't call it a form tackle because he only used his forearm to basically level this human being but anthony schlegel yeah i coached him okay there you go yeah I, get I, your credit yeah I, yeah no i don't take their credit believe me i probably should have been the one who was trying to get him before he got to the guy but uh yeah yeah that was a good a, good friend very very good friend of mine and that was a beautiful forearm shiver for sure uh because i was standing on the opposite end and, and i'm just like, oh my god like yeah. it looked it looked like the guy went upside down in the air um <laughs> With uh, there's another theory about Ohio State. Does it shield the kids going into a big game like that? If if you just say, "Hey, it's all," it, they're all going to ask me a thousand Buckeye questions this week. You, know you guys go do ball. Sometimes it can take. Hopefully, you can find ways to take take the emphasis off of them and let them just play. Yeah, because uh, you know, for us and you know, a, a big step in our program is going to be able to play big on big stages. Yeah, you know, and um, I don't know that we did a great job of that last year. So, you know, we got an opportunity. In the first game, we got an opportunity to play on a really big stage. Uh, game two, we got an opportunity to play on a really big stage. And I think, you know, there's going to be, you know, if we can take care of business and, you know, do what we need to do, we're going to continue to play on some big stages. I mean, open the league, we open up on a Friday night with UCF and then yeah. follow that up with, you know, a Saturday at Houston. So, I mean, there's right off the bat, there's going to be some really, really big opportunities for us. And, you know, most importantly is ha handling those situations um, that I don't know that we did a great job of last year. Why do you think that? I don't know. I don't. I mean, that's, I keep looking back at it, and I know it's easy to say, well, you know, UCF played better. Than, yeah, I know, but just it's not always just about when you evaluate did you win or lose. It's sometimes you, you evaluate how did we really play. I mean, attention to detail, focus, you know, preparations and things like that. Personally, I don't think we played great in the bowl game, and you know that was a bigger stage. Uh, playing it, you know, obviously Virginia Tech and things, and we ended up winning. Right. But when you go back and I look at it, we didn't play real clean. We didn't handle some of the emotional things, uh, the time, and you know, that you have to prepare. Uh, so that really gives us an opportunity to, to focus on those things going into this year. Are you cognizant as that's happening? Yeah. You can feel it? I, I felt a little bit. You know, I mean, I it's, it's one of the few things you can't measure in football. You don't know. I mean, like I said, when you're going into the game, you have some things in your mind, and you, sometimes you wonder and you're thinking, is this just – me overthinking things and then when it's all said and done then you you start to reevaluate it and you say okay well what was our issues and what's and what happened yeah you know and sometimes you, you got to find out you got to look at those things and wins too right you know because sometimes just winning masks a lot of things you know winning masks a lot of things that's going on in your locker room winning masks a lot of things that are going on you know in your preparations and things like that um so you know like i said the ability to play you know, not just win, but play the way we need to play on big stages and handle those moments, you know, is a, is a step for us. So I have a theory that, you know, when, when head coaches talk to the media, you're, you're not talking to me. You're talking to your players. You're talking to your staff. And then you're talking to whoever else you need to speak to within your program's tree of influence, however that may be. It could be certain schools, it's boosters, certain schools, it's ADs. Your decision to come out and be as public as you have been about this transfer situation um, I assume you thought about how this would message with the kids and the school and the staff. I mean, we're all making play of it right now because it's two recognizable coaching names that are going back and forth. But you made a decision to come out and be very vocal about that. What went into making that decision? Because you could have just said, hey, we tried. James isn't eligible this year, and we're going to move on. But you went straight at it in a very public forum which is what we're always asking everyone to do in the media because it's good for our business but i imagine it took a lot to make that decision oh it does and, and we all have personal beliefs we all have personal feelings and uh i don't know how much of a back and forth it is i try not to recomment be, yeah but I, but i'll give you this and and just like it all when it happens when it starts to be our own kids and i don't just mean our own players think about it as a parent right you know and and when it becomes yours, it becomes a little bit different. So yes. I try to take the emotion out of it. If, if in the, it's been a long process. It's been an entire summer. It's been, you know, five months. And other than one tweet, I, I said nothing. And I, 
respectfully said nothing because, you know, there's other things out there and there's other important things. Um, and I've always talked to James and his mother and said at some point in time, you know, I'm, I'm very hurt too. And, and I'm you know disappointed in a lot of ways, but you know, again, I, I don't want to say anything right now. And right. Uh, I said, at some point in time, I want to be able to say something because I believe we need to say something, uh, but I'm not going to do it for myself. So before I ever said anything, I think, you know, we had said, Hey, we're going to say something here in a couple of days. Um, but I had talked to James and his mom first, because to me, the most important thing that gets lost in this whole thing is the emotions of a 18 to 22 year old and emotions of an entire family. And I would have bit my lip and, you know, not said a word had, when I called them, I said, now, look, I don't want to bring this back up if it's going to be more difficult on James and his family. Right. Because, you know, as you start to get through it and, and process it and, you know, there's James and his family accepting the situation. The last thing you want to have done is it to keep, keep getting brought back up. And then there's more things thrown out and the names are thrown out and it becomes harder on the young man. And that's the most important thing. Right. You know? So I kept my mouth shut. I wasn't going to say anything. Um, and both of them agreed that they did not care. They wanted, you know, they, they weren't worried about it being brought back up. Um, you know, they believed it would, in the long run, hopefully be able to help. And uh, so, so I did. I, I said what I thought and, you know, what I really believe. And, uh, you know, and, and then I try to move on, you know, because I do care about James. I care incredibly about this, you know, his you know, emotional side of things and how he's going to be able to handle uh, throughout this entire time. Um, and I think it's downright, I just think it's wrong, to be honest with you. And I'm not a big believer in transferring, but deep down inside, you know, ultimately we got to do what's best for the kid. And I don't know if we did that. So you were angry. Oh, yeah. You were legitimately angry. Not And, and just for clarity, because of, you know, it's a very cynical world, you weren't angry that you were losing alignment. You were angry specifically, I assume, because of the way his, let's say, we're dancing around FERPA here, situation yeah. was portrayed by his former coach, to the media, specifically citing his instance as the example of it not being a valid reason to transfer. And it's not that I'm just upset at him. I, right. you know, I'm upset at how this whole thing's been handled, I think, through the NCAA in a lot of situations. And, yeah. you know, I mean, again, what's best for the individual? I know that we all have specific, you know, hey, what's going hey, I like, I'm okay with transfers now because it's going to be help us. Sure. You know, but all in all, it's going to be, hey, what is really bad? And now we've got an eight, a 20 year old kid that we're in charge of mm -hmm. and going to be looking after every single day that is on an incredible emotional roller coaster, like a lot of other kids in college anyway. And mm -hmm. now, you know, with the situation that he's in where some get deemed eligible, some are deemed ineligible, there's no real explanation other than you don't meet the, the criteria and that's all they get it's not just you know coach harbaugh by any means it's to me it's upsetting at the whole process of the ncaa as well as you know they pick it and choosing and to what's more you know important or impactful based on you know a waiver process and so i think that's where i get more frustrated than anything is that you know for the kid like my own son this is going to be another six months of an incredible emotional roller coaster. Uh, and quite frankly, I'm, I'm going to be involved in it every single day. What do you do? What's he up to right now? What's, I mean, what, what's your plan for him now? Oh, we're trying to make it as, as, as much like he's in a game week as possible. Okay. And to give him challenges that, that he has something every single week. We got a plan that every Saturday he's hopefully going to be able to be with us. We're trying to get a a little bit of a waiver to say, can he travel with us to at least feel like he's a part of the program and team? And to have him actually have an hour like workout, like he's playing a game uh, every morning of a Saturday, to give him that look at like I'm working towards something. Like, you know, those guys are going to go battle for three hours, but in that morning, I'm going to have, there's going to be a new challenge for me. Mm -hmm. So during the week, I'm able to prepare. And what, and specifically, what is he allowed to do in terms of interaction right now? He right is now, just, you know, he's a lot camp. of people don't oh, yeah. know. He's, yeah, he's he can go. A, he's and... taking a, a, a million reps with us. Okay. You know, we're a little bit thin in, in, in the offensive line. So, I mean, he's taking a million reps throughout camp and, um, you know, for us, but also for him. And that's right. where the, I don't know that people really realize the, and I'd say if everybody had to sit out and there was no exceptions, 
it would be hard, right. but I think all kids would go into it understanding that if I make this decision, I'm going to sit out. Right. When we opened Pandora's box in a lot of ways, I think we really, really, as a institution, as an NCA, as what we're all involved in, really made a mistake in the say now, now we're going to give some kids some really false hopes, which does nothing more than put more stress and pressure on them. Right. Which in turn is really difficult. It's difficult on programs too. Um, so I don't, in my eyes, we don't do what's best for the kids. You mentioned uh, in the piece by The Athletic, you mentioned specifically that there's really no access point for you in the NCAA. It's essentially faceless. It's this sort of monolith on high in Indianapolis. They, they give you a decision. You can't interface with anyone. Now coaches are all about interface, personal connection, I mean, development. If right. we had to recruit with never ever seeing somebody and just right. talking to them on a phone or writing letters, Nobody would have a program. Right. I mean, you'd be awful. Since it's hap- since everything's gone through and all the appeals have been denied, have you been able to reach out to anyone and say, hey, I just need to know why, or hey, how is this different? Than- they don't. Even, they, they surely don't want to talk. It's what's hard. They don't want to talk to coaches. Then you have a compliance uh, department that communicates with them. And, right. You know, they don't get any fee. All I've got is it doesn't meet the directives. Okay. And so I got to call a family. That's that's what's disheartening on, you know, we all, I got a job because of the NCA. Right. You know, and, and again, pick and choose what you want to be in. So obviously I love it and I'm behind it. And I would, uh, let me interrupt and say, I think you would still have a job if well, the NCAA didn't exist yeah, tomorrow. Yeah, I could dig ditches or, or No, lay, I mean, you could have lay, this job. Uh, <laughs> you could have this job. and these, The podcasts? No, football, oh, okay. football players would be just fine okay. and football well, coaches. You guys, but I there's more power there, on your side. There's, we choose to live in the world of the NCAA and that's what I tell our kids all the time. Yeah. You know, the world has different rules. And if you want to live in the, the world of the NCAA, there's, there's sacrifices you got to make. Yeah. And we all have to understand that. And I, and I do. Um, but I don't, you know, I, I don't know that we completely eliminate the human side of things, you know, and I think it's really difficult if we really are, if the NCAA and everybody's really about the young man, you know, the young woman, whoever it is, the student athlete, in order to make an educated decision, if it's any bit, I mean, like I said, again, if it was simple, nobody, you transfer, you sit out. Sure. It's, it's standard across the board. Right. You know, I, you're somebody's sick you got a child you know we, we just can't make it as soon as we make an exception then there's a thousand other ones what's right. more important you know a kid's because he's going closer home because of his grandma because of his child because of you know mental because of race who's to say what's more important and so it makes it really difficult and um you know I, that's where i don't know that we're doing what's best for the kids to say okay if we're going to make these decisions that are you know, subjective, incredibly subjective. Yes. I would want to look in a kid's eyes and hear something from them to say, okay, is, you know, where are we with this? But uh, to be a little diplomatic for a second, it, it feels like you and Harbaugh are actually on one similar page in that you don't want to be the arbiters here. You want, you want a uniform policy and something where you don't have to enter into these situations where it's almost this sort of like, Oh yeah, under the table negotiation kind of thing. It, it and that's why some of the talks are you know it really isn't under it's it's in it's an agreement almost right you know and and I really believe the issue is right now the power if they're going to get eligible is in the hands of the place he's leaving and I'll stand by that yeah. that's why I think we need to get rid of it and whatever the rule is somebody's not going to like it you know sure. it might benefit somebody more than others. Um, but ultimately, we've got to live by a rule and a standard. And yeah. we put ourselves, I mean, I, I lost a whole summer over this because it was such a daily up and down and emotional swing, not just for me, but for, you know, a couple of kids that we have in, in this process. And, you know, it, I don't think it's healthy and good for any of us. So uh, would you be in favor of a mulligan year for a blanket? <laughs> you know, to be honest, I was always against any transfers. Yeah. Because I just think that, you know, when all of a sudden you give an opportunity for somebody to take an easy way out. Right. I don't think you always make the best decision. You know, if this was my son in, in a situation where, hey, I went someplace, I don't like it, I want to go, I would say no. You Stick know, it out. The, the grass is not always greener on the other side. You know, I kind of, like a marriage, like, well, when 
it gets really difficult, sometimes we just bolt. That's the easier thing to do. Right. Now, we all understand that there are situations and there's times when it's just not right and it's not going to work. So what I don't want to do is make it easier um, for young men to, to fight through tough situations because that's what we're really trying to teach them. Okay. Um, but does that mean am I also now I've kind of switched a little bit and say, you know what? I guess, you know what, if, if I think it might be best to have a one-time transfer. Uh, I think in the long run, my philosophy has changed to that right now because what I think it makes us do, it makes us take care of our young men a lot more. It puts a little more onus on us as coaches to say, we better create a culture and environment where we are building trust in these young men. If they're not playing, if they're not in the place where they want to be, if they don't trust you, then you're right, they're going to bolt. You know, and what does that mean? You got to do, you got to treat them a lot better. You got to make sure you've got some personal relationships with them and you eliminate just the straight business side of things, which unfortunately I think it's climbing towards. So there was a lot of cynicism for a while that it would, that this would open up the door for re-recruitment essentially. Mm -hmm. You, well, I mean, you're not that worried about it. If you're fostering a good environment by and large, every exception, the sheer number of kids that you have that you're in charge of. You're not going to be able to, to emotionally probably touch everyone the way you want to to make them feel involved. Or maybe it doesn't work out. So I'm not saying that if you have two or three kids leave that that's some sort of indictment. But you're also not simultaneously worried about having to re-recruit your entire roster. I think it's about a relationship and you build. And I know that's what they say. I mean, it's like that in other sports. I don't know how much they're recruiting those people, you know. From, mm-hmm. We've got a volleyball girl that's probably the best in the country. And she's on the Olympic all this stuff, and I'm sure, but I know our volleyball number always worried about, I know there's got to be people that are trying to talk to her to go to the top team in the country. Yeah, it, it, yeah, you're right. It could be that. And we could have a great player. And if we don't have a good enough relationship and create a good enough culture and environment that they want to be there, to me, be honest with you, then you know, it's probably best for both of us. Yeah. Um, the last thing I want to ask you about this, I, I'm sort of, sort of my job to do this. Um, throughout the back and forth. You were very transparent about the fact that when both coaches are back in, in community and forth or just back. We can say it's back. Not, That's not fine. as much of the four. No, I'm just kidding. no, no, no. <laughs> I try not to be a back and forth. It's 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 about a, a kid and not right. about us by any means. But I understand. No, I'm case. sorry. I, I actually meant the back and forth involved with uh, the transfer process. Okay. So when you're normally in a situation like you talked about with Coach Saban, for instance. Yeah. Okay that when two parties are willing, this thing seems to work pretty easily, okay? And that coaches have an understanding. Obviously, Cincinnati and Alabama aren't exactly posing uh, imminent threats to one another, and it was best for the kid in that situation. And you even took some criticism I saw for, you know, calling it a runoff, which is basically what it's, I mean, that's what it's designated to be. Yeah, I I, I don't know that I ever said that. I don't even know what the waiver says. Yeah. You know, it's, okay. I don't, it's not, I don't know what, I don't know what, it's not a runoff. I don't know if it meets directives. You know, I asked some other situations, like that's a way to get an immediate eligibility. That's what they did with the Tate Martell that went to Miami. Right. Um, so I never asked about any of those things. Well, so here's what I'm getting at. He specifically, Coach Harbaugh comes out at one point and says that he told you he wasn't going to lie. Yes. But there's this, I guess you'd have to acknowledge it as just, it's not even shades of gray so much as, is this about a lie or not? Or is this about individuals that are just going to sort of step outside of the situation and say, what is logically best for this one human being? Yeah, I, I, he did say that. I never, I'm not asking. All I asked about was, you know, are you going to try to help this kid or are you not going to help this kid? Right. In whatever way. And not saying a lie, just do you, you know, because if we, don't want to help a kid then we just put it in the hands of everybody else mm-hmm. um and and i refer back to i don't nobody knows about this but in 2011 my situation at ohio state we had a kid that signed with us and then a, two or three weeks a month before camp um wanted out of his nli similar not the same situations but sure. similar and you can't you're bound and you, if you go someplace you have to sit a year and you know there i was as a new coach um having to make a decision and you know and i I had recruited the kid personally and had a relationship with him and all i did was said 
you know, and, and there was a lot of different things that went on in the midst of trying to get out of it for the kid. I said, here, you come over, meet with me, sit down face to face, tell me what you want to do. I'll sign the papers and make sure that you're able to be immediately eligible because that's what's best for you. You know, so that's the philosophy of I've always truly taken and was thrust into that situation. So, um, so I think that's where no matter what I believe is, hey, when, when I called Coach Saban, when I called Coach Day, when I called Coach Harbaugh, all I want to know is do you want to help this guy? Mm-hmm. Or in some ways, you know, we all have personal, you know, that was hard for me. You know, personally didn't want to just, that, that's bull crap. I worked that hard for that kid and all of a sudden we're just going to let him go and not have any consequences. So I think in the long run, you got to figure out, okay, what's going to be best? Is it what's best for me right? and my personal side? Or is it you know, hard to say what's going to be best for them? I was going to ask you about wrestling, but I want to touch on one thing for a second. By the way, I've seen that photo. Kaz sent me, your, your SID sent me the photo of when he, I guess you were maybe a senior in high school, you had the full, you had, you had the wrestler traps, man. Where'd they go? <laughs> you sure that was traps or that was the mullet? No, was it, was, it was the whole thing. Like uh, it was just from the ears uh, to the, to the shoulder blades. Where'd know. it go, man? I don't know. It's those things kind of go away. Yeah, I bet. Uh, let me ask it's you from getting hit in the head a lot with it. Yeah, I bet. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. The phraseology that's going to will be a little interesting only because you are the head coach at Cincinnati right now. You played at Ohio state. You are from Ohio you become the head coach of Ohio State in an extraordinary circumstance, which in one could guess maybe it's a dream job moment, but it's in an incredibly bizarre circumstance. At a younger age than most would expect that to happen in your life. After that is over, how did that change your view of what you wanted to do with your career in your life? Oh, it changed it a lot. I mean, that was seven or eight months that was, I don't know if there was anything positive. Yeah, we won a big game on a, on a Hail Mary or lap, one of the almost last play against Wisconsin. And, you know, one of those ones that I, to be honest with you, I, I can't remember much of anything about that whole season other than, you know, the ups and the downs and the emotional roller coaster. Um, you know, but it changed me in the sense that, you know what, I didn't enjoy being a head coach of the seven or so months, maybe more than a day or two. And I'm just like, you know what? I really enjoyed doing what I do and, you know, coaching linebackers and being a defensive coordinator and, you know, kind of dealing with those things and let that head coaching stuff because, you know, you don't have some of those, to me, those intimate relationships on a daily basis with, you know, a group of guys. Um, they kind of pushed me away from doing it. I had people, you know, I had a couple you know, so to speak, interviews and things like that, like right after it and then the following year. And, you know, I talked to him, but I really had no desire. I don't know. I was just, you know, kind of, uh, you know, felt like that wasn't something that was going to be in my best interest or strong suit. So you thought you would never go back and be a head coach again? I didn't. I just said, you know what, I don't want to do that. Really? I didn't enjoy that difference to things where, you know, you're maybe not as much of, involved in the everyday coaching of young men and you know being a part of their lives you're you know and then again maybe that was the seven eight months where you know you were having to go do the NCAA things I I sat on a side with the university and the lawyers and there was my mentor sitting in the middle and it was us against him and it right. was just one of those things where I, I it just everything that you know went on those seven eight months was negative in a lot of ways and uh you know i just said i don't know that i want to you know take myself out of what i think i do well right you know and that's daily basis of you know growing and helping kids and you know i think the head coaching thing is is you know maybe different in developing a whole culture and, and doing a lot of different things for a program as opposed to specific groups of kids so what changed you know what? I don't. I don't know. It's just my passion. All of a sudden, I started finding myself reading books about building cultures and, and about those types of things. Mm-hmm. There's not one incident. All of a sudden, I just realized after about four and a half years, I'm like, you know, I'm really interested in building this thing the way I'd like to build it. And to be honest, all of a sudden that summer, I really sat down and put some things together, and you know, said. Okay, the next time I have an opportunity, I'm going to be ready for this. And five months later, this opportunity came up. Does it still feel like a blur? Uh, that interim year? 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I other than the negative things and the notes I took, <laughs> other than Coach Braves and bringing him into this crazy profession at, at that time. The stash. I don't know what else we accomplished out of that year other than getting him involved in something that, you know, hopefully he doesn't ever regret. What um, I, I can just, I can only imagine though it had to have been you know everybody goes through imposter syndrome in their life every single person so I imagine you had that but also just a sense of obligation that you wouldn't have had if you had been the interim head coach at literally any other job yeah and I think that probably is one of those things that's that that you know that feels like too much body that too much stress for a human body yeah. to take it, it was I don't know about but I know there were some situations where. I ran into a coach just afterwards in, <laughs> in a school, and he was asking, like, man, that, was, that had to be an awesome experience for you to be able to, you know, at a young age, yeah. have that opportunity to experience that and, and really not have any pressure upon you. And I almost lost my mind on him, you know, and I, I started. No pressure? Just, well, I mean, he figured, that, you know, you knew you weren't going to have anything to do with the future of it. But for seven or eight months, you got an opportunity to have an incredible experience. Yeah, but it's not fantasy camp. And, and that's and, and it was an alma mater. And it was yeah. and knowing what you believed in. I mean, I literally almost started. I mean, I started going out. And thank goodness that someone was, hey, why don't you come with me? I'm like, <laughs> I had to go out the car and call somebody afterwards. Like, I can't believe this. Uh, so, and it was a, it was a, a head coach. And the guy had been a head coach for a long time, and that makes it so much worse. That's why it made it makes to it me, so oh, much worse. It was it was it was. It's way worse. It uh, wouldn't have been a good because uh, that just discounts your effort to begin yeah. with. So again, you know, like it was like you got a mulligan or you got yeah. you got a free ride around. Yeah. If anything, you're trying to do the absolute best <laughs> with no preparation, no time. Uh, okay, wrestling. There, there had to have been a moment where you made the decision. Obviously, you chose football, but. From what I've read about you and speaking with you a couple of times, you're, you, like many other head coaches, are structure-based and, and very interested in functionality of group, right? Culture right. setting. Because head coaches, as I'm sure you learned going from linebackers in D.C. to running one of these things, it's really the delegation. That's right. really where your signature is because you can't be everywhere on the field. Did you all the way back as passionate as you were about wrestling that mentality of an individual sport none of that really exists no. it's kind of a lonely deal it is it is I, it's it's different and i know that was probably one of the things that i did learn in the seven eight months that i do remember is that i could not and did not do a very good job at delegating you know and didn't really know yeah. you know i never i didn't think i ever did a good job of that when i was a defensive coordinator unless it was somebody i truly knew or trusted or believed um, you know, and, and that was uh, something I had to grow upon. Feel free time. to give out the secret for delegation. I'm uh, sure I, anybody I, would. To be honest with you, to me, it's someone you deep down inside really trust. Okay. You know, and, and know that, you know, really deep down, you, you know that, you know what, they can probably do a better job than you can at that. Mm -hmm. And that's hard. You know, that's hard. Um, because if you don't see that in some ways, I think you become, you know, maybe the micromanager or, you know, it, it even come off as a real arrogant guy and, and you don't get people to believe in you if you can't trust them. Uh, if you were to win the conference this year, could we get the mustache? <laughs> I don't, I, 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 can I, can get on this I train. can assure you that, 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 that mine wouldn't look like that. No, no, I don't, I don't think so. It might be a little bit more of, of a, of a thinner look, but, uh, that would have to go along with with the new ring for my wife because she's said that since the day we started that no mustache no no she probably oh. wouldn't care about the mustache as long okay. as she got the new ring if you ever win the conference so there you go I, maybe i could try it there you go all right i'm uh i can make these things happen on social media i'll contact <laughs> coach rabel uh coach i appreciate it thank you not a problem